We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon football heads to Las Vegas with plenty on the line against the Washington Huskies in the Pac-12 title game. We got plenty of Oregon football talk on today's episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Just in case you're new here, I'm your host. Max Torres coming to you on Thursday, November 30th. Actually, I don't know when this is going to be posted, but we're coming to you from Long Beach. Kind of cold on a a Wednesday afternoon, but really stoked to be talking some duck football with Duck Territories, Eric Scopel, fellow Zag, and uh, fellow reporter. How we doing, Eric? Thanks for being here. Not too bad. I'm sure it's colder here than Long Beach, though. Just to just to put you on blast. Oh, it definitely bit. is. It yeah. definitely is. But for whatever reason, my apartment kind of runs cold, so I I have a sweatshirt on, maybe looking a little casual for the pod. But we 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 got to get it in anyway. Got my tea here as well. But no, I definitely miss the Northwest and the weather up there. Certainly the rain. But yeah, man, don't have like a super concrete plan, like I was telling you. Uh, before yeah. the pod, just kind of wanted to talk some duck football and, and get your take because your boots on the ground there. I know we'll both be in Vegas, but you're around the team day to day. So getting to talk to the guys and with Dan earlier this week, how would you kind of describe the mentality and just the vibe coming out of Eugene right now? I would characterize it as really similar to last week where there's you can tell like a certain level of of motivation that's not always there. Uh, I don't want to say that they ever overlook anybody, but certain teams, like it means a little bit more. And the fact that Oregon lost to Washington, not just this year, but the year before, like you can tell that that's not sitting well with people. And especially because these last two games have been kind of ruthless in terms of how they've ended, you know, like just pretty brutal ways to go out, um, missing opportunities, the opposition making really high level plays. You think about what Michael Penix has done in the fourth quarter of these last two games, like sense that like yeah this one means a little bit more and obviously it should like this is not just the fact that it's Washington it's it's a conference championship game and if you win this game like Oregon can end what will be like a 10-year drought in the playoffs so there's this you can tell this means a lot now we weren't inside practice so I couldn't give you kind of those sort of assessments like I normally would but I would characterize them as a little bit pissed off and I think that's exactly 
what you'd expect and what you're hoping for from a team that really is just four quarters away from from going to the playoff, which is, I guess, somebody who covers this team for a long time and has been through the ups and downs. Like, I've never been able to to cover a playoff run, and this would be this would be pretty special if it works out that way. Just from a, a, a me perspective, and I'm sure from an Oregon fan perspective, people are feeling exactly the same way. And I think another thing that's so, I guess, special, but also kind of odd to me, Eric, is I feel like over these last couple weeks, maybe as the volume's kind of gotten turned up on the playoff conversation, yeah. it's it's taken me a couple of, I've had a couple of different instances of like kind of zoning in and being like, holy crap, man, this team is really good. Um, like, I don't know if, if you had anything similar to that or if you were just like, man, these guys are just, you know, kicking butt. But I just feel like, you know, you, the more numbers come out, the the watch list for awards, the whole Broyles thing with Stein and Bo as a serious, serious contender for Heisman. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just so zoned in sometimes. But, like, that's kind of how I feel this these past couple weeks have been, especially this week. No, I think that's a really good point. And, like, here's what I'd say. And here's – you mentioned kind of, like, what you got you there. Like – I'll take a step back first and say, like, when you're doing this job and you're so focused on the team you cover, like, it's hard to sort of get a sense of how special this team is within the entire realm of college football. You know what I mean? Like, because you're just dialed in and you're, you know, I'm watching a lot of other teams, but I'm not really doing the compare and contrast and, like, how is ever I, I can't say I've watched a lot of Texas football outside of when they play sure. Oklahoma, like, or, or really dialed in that way. So I think what really stood out this week was, uh, actually, on a podcast we did earlier today on the Ots and Audibles, the, the show I do with Matt Freeman and Jared Mack, is Matt closed the show by asking if we knew what Vegas's projected line for an Oregon-Georgia game on a neutral site would be. And I was like, Georgia by six? And it's it was Georgia by one. So, wow. you know, and then, it, you know, I was asked, I think, earlier this week, what about oregon michigan who would be favored and vegas would have oregon as a one or a two-point favorite right now and so these kind of things put into into you know i think into perspective a little bit when you start to kind of see just in a head-to-head basis like i think it's really easy most years to go like well oregon's not on the level necessarily of a georgia or a michigan or ohio state i think this year they really are and if they can take care of business on friday like they'll go into the playoff probably as a favorite in their semifinalist game, even if it's against a team that's a better seed, and even if it's Georgia in the final game, and of course how you know how they play in the conference championship game, how they play in the semifinal, and how Georgia plays in its games, like hypothetically, will depend the line. But if you were to go into a national championship game with Georgia and be like, yeah, you're less than a three-point underdog on a neutral, that that's such a unique thing to think about. So those are the kind of things that make it feel real to me of like, it's not just that I feel like they're really, really good. The people who are actually setting these lines, whose millions of dollars are, are, are kind of at stake each week, they think Oregon's really, really good too. That's a good way to put it. And I kind of remember a little bit of the same thing happening to me when the I think FanDuel had the the hypothetical line for a rematch uh, with, with this week's game come out a couple of weeks ahead of time. And I was seeing people in the Oregon community kind of putting out on Twitter. And I was like, why are we talking about that? Like just yeah. focus on kind of what's going on this week. Um, so kind of funny that we, we definitely related a little bit over that. Um, and, and I definitely echo what you're saying as far as just not necessarily being as tuned into the national scene as I maybe should be or could be. And I think that's just because for me, and I'm sure you feel like this to some degree too, like, 
your your job is more or less just to eat, sleep, and breathe your team and everything that comes out uh, of Eugene or, I mean, for me, out on the recruiting trail in you know Southern California or anywhere else. So it can be kind of hard to to take a little bit of time to to yeah. zoom out, which is why I was so happy that they played on Friday because then it allows you to to have some of that enjoy the the Saturday slate, which will be the same case this week. Like last week, I was able to watch the Ohio State Michigan game a bit more. I was just going to say, and this is the last thing I'll say is like, that's the other part that was cool this last week was to watch and feel like, I don't know if there was a, another team that's in the same tier that really had a more impressive game to finish the regular season. Obviously Michigan beating Ohio state resonates more. It means more, but like Oregon just thumped Oregon state. And then you watched a lot of these teams that are competing for conference or for college football playoff berths. And like Alabama, Probably should have lost that game. Not probably. They should have oh, lost. I watched the end of that one. That you was know? insane. Georgia barely beats Georgia Tech, who we know is not very good. You know what I mean? Like a lot of these teams, like obviously Texas rolled and um, Washington also didn't play very well. But like there's, you can go and you look around that Florida State didn't play very well. Like a lot of these teams that we're talking about, aside from Oregon and Texas, did not finish with their very best. And just kind of did watch it all on display again, kind of furthers that thought of like, put them on a neutral against just about any of these teams. And I, I think they have a real shot to beat any of them. And, and what a, what a flip the script kind of moment when you were talking about that hypothetical with Georgia to like, when, <laughs> yeah. when a lot of people look at a, I saw some tweet a while ago, it was like telling an Auburn fan that Bo Nix was not only going to transfer to Oregon, but be in the thick and a front runner for the Heisman trophy, like two years ago, sounds insane. And then to to say what you were saying about maybe Oregon being favored against Georgia, not by a wide margin, but just in any sense, uh, after they opened the season and the Dan Lanning era against the Bulldogs in Atlanta, that one unfolded the way it did is just insane. I have one more point that kind of just came to me about the the whole playoff discussion. I think one thing that I'm seeing from a lot of, um, I guess, non-Oregon fans or like broad scope uh, media folks is it seems like people are kind of trying to detract from Oregon's resume and certainly their strength of schedule. This first kind of came out when people were talking about Texas, the other one of the other one loss teams, their margin of victory over Texas tech. I think it was like 50 point win or something. And they were at home in Austin versus Oregon going on the road to Texas tech. They had their starting quarterback in Tyler Shuck and then other games like Utah isn't playing that well now, but look at how well they were playing leading up to that Oregon game. And it just feels like people are kind of trying to take away from from some of the value that uh, I think people have really ultimately kind of put on Oregon with the special season that they're having. I don't know if that really makes sense, but hopefully that was clear. No, no it was clear. Um, and I think what I would say to that would be, and you even see it with Washington, who hasn't lost since. I think Oregon's kind of taken some souls. You know what I mean? Like they've gone out and they've beaten teams so thoroughly that they've kind of created some doubt and teams have not responded well. Like you go and look through, like I said, if you just run through the regular season, like pretty much all these teams after they play Oregon have just fallen apart. And that can either mean, A, all these teams were overranked and over, um, you know, people had too high of opinions of, but like, Think about Colorado. Like Colorado came in here with I was so literally much, just gonna say that. Right. And then just got thumped and the whole season fell apart. I think you lose the belief when you go in going like we can beat anybody, and then you lose by 36, and it probably could have been 56. Um, think about what's happened obviously with Washington. Like they've kind of fallen off. They've they've won all their games. No one's saying anything other than that. But the narrative this week is 
is Oregon's the better team because Oregon has continued to just steamroll teams, and Washington's kind of kind of struggled. They've had a really hard time. I mean, even that Arizona State game, a team that Oregon beat thoroughly, they had to really work for it. Same thing with Utah. Like I think Oregon kind of demoralized Utah. I think Oregon um, certainly uh, demoralized Arizona State. Not that they had a whole lot of momentum, but they'd come off this big win against UCLA, and then the following week against Arizona, they get just steamrolled. So I do think like you could make a case that like Oregon's just kind of demoralized some teams and really kind of maybe changed some teams' beliefs and what they can be. Um, and so that would be kind of some of what I would counter with. But I get if you're just taking away the eye test part of it and saying like Oregon's teams you – because know, the conference has really cannibalized itself in a way that wasn't the case early on. Remember there were like six or seven ranked teams? And yeah, it's but really doesn't just, that happen every year? Totally, That's the no, no, whole no. With the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I know it, it is. But I, I mean, the, I think the thing that has hurt Oregon is that like there hasn't been a, a clear number three team in the conference that Oregon played. Like if Oregon had played and beaten Arizona, that would be looked at as like a marquee win. But you, you'd go and say, what is their best win to date? And it's probably beating Oregon State last week. Even though you, I would say the most impressive win was winning in Utah in the fashion that they did. But to my point earlier, Utah's kind of. And I think it was coming anyway. You can kind of see the signs of it with some of the issues at quarterback, and they were pretty banged up. But, like, Utes have really struggled coming out of that one. So I I, I think a, on a global sense, I, I would argue that there's been a, a sense of, like, Oregon's just gone out and kind of demoralized some of these teams. I think that's a great way to put it. And also with, with that Oregon State win, too, if, if you want to just look at what they were able to do there, just bouncing back the way that they did compared to last year, Obviously, they get that game at home, so so that helps. I think it was the fourth largest crowd in Austin Stadium history. Um, and you could argue, well, Oregon State wasn't motivated because Jonathan Smith already had his foot out the door. Seems like he's kind of shooting himself in the foot with how he's handling some of these introductory yeah. media things. Like when he was asked about when it happened, he's like, I wanted to sleep on it, but uh, you know, it, 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 I felt like it was coming or something, something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but I think what you were talking about with Washington and just kind of comparing the seasons that they've had since they played in Seattle in October <laughs> is a good segue into talking a little bit more specifically about this week's Pac-12 title game. Because I think as as people who cover Oregon specifically, maybe we can get caught up in some of these numbers or just how special of a year that they're having. But I also want to, I'm trying to kind of tiptoe that line with Oregon has dominated everybody that's been put in front of them since that Washington game. And Washington hasn't, they've struggled. They struggled against Arizona state at home. They struggled against Washington state at home. Given that's a rivalry game, all bets are off. We know how that that's how it works in college football, but there's something to be said about you just got to win. Like Al Davis said, just win baby. And, and Washington did it. They beat Washington State to have the the twelve and zero regular season, and and props to them for doing that. You got to pull it out when it matters. Um, you know all that stuff. I, I just I find it hard, even as someone who covers Oregon, to not just head into this game with maybe just a bit more confidence than I've had in the Ducks in the past because Washington is undefeated, but they've looked like two totally different teams. It's been really weird. And again, to the point I made earlier of like not getting an opportunity to watch these teams fully, I've caught more, more Washington than probably other teams just because they're playing common opponents a lot of the time. They're playing sometimes after Oregon plays, and it's easy to watch here on the West Coast. But 
I watched basically the whole second of the app, second half of the Apple Cup. It didn't look like a very good football team from Washington's perspective, you know. And 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 a ton of credit for the resiliency for finding the plays for being really aggressive and going for it on fourth down on your own side of the field with a game on the line and, and drawing up that play call. You know, if you feel that was missed, cold. The, I loved that play call. The, the flip to to Dunze for for the end around, like that was that was super impressive, but. Collectively, I, I I came away feeling even better about Oregon, and clearly the um, those setting the lines did too, because the line moved pretty quickly after that game. Um, but you just go and you and you compare it opponent to opponent in the margin, and, and Oregon's just played a lot of the same teams Washington has much better and been far more dominant. Has had really no. I mean, I, I know people from like. Texas fan base or the Florida State fan base or the Alabama fan base will go box score looking and say, well, Oregon-USC was a close game. Oregon really hasn't been challenged in the second half other than Washington and Texas Tech all season. The second half of the season, they've really ruled everybody. And even though the final score against UCLA or USC and maybe even the final score against Washington State looks closer, those were three-score games that were pretty much, you know, no-brainers by the end of them. So, um, I, I understand that part of it. And I think just getting back to the, the Washington part, I, I don't think Michael Penix looks like he's healthy. I think that's something a lot of people have talked about. What is like going he, on with him? I can't I can't wrap my head around it. I think it's I think this one's he spoke one with the reporters. Yeah, I think this one where the easiest answer is probably the right one, which is that he's been dealing with some sort of rib injury or injury basically since the Oregon game, which is what a lot of Washington fans have thought. One of my good friends is oh, I shouldn't out myself here. One of my best friends is a Washington fan. We text quite frequently, and he's thought Penix has been hurt since I think Dorless hit Penix in the fourth quarter of that first game, um, and that it's kind of carried through. And he thought it like maybe it was reaggravated um, against Washington State this last weekend, and he took some big shots by the Cougars. So I I don't think he's healthy, and that to me, if you're a Washington supporter or somebody who was looking at betting Oregon or Washington, that would be something I'd be really focused in on because there's just, in my mind, there's no way Washington can win if Penix isn't playing his best. I don't think their team around him is anywhere near as good as Oregon's just top to bottom. I think Oregon's deeper. I think they're more talented at pretty much every position aside from receiver. And if Michael Penix is playing his best, maybe Penix and Nix are e equals. But if Penix is as injured as he has been, and he's only going to be able to play a C plus level of game. It's hard for me to think Washington's really going to be able to to challenge Oregon to actually win this thing. So I mean, that to me is like one of the big storylines is just what's his health situation? Is he actually hurt? Is he not hurt? There's been so many kind of conflicting words and rumors that have come out of Seattle, but I think that's one that I'm really kind of focused in on. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm super focused on it too because for, for those who don't know, at least, I mean, this is how it works with Oregon is – if a guy gets banged up, if he's hurt, um, we usually don't get to talk to him as reporters yeah. after the game. Um, and I guess more specifically, I should say, like, if he gets knocked out of a game uh, right. and doesn't re-enter. But um, let's just operate off the assumption that Penix is hurt. He didn't get pulled from the game, uh, played the whole game, and then talked to the reporters. But he was seen after the game, you know, clutching the cart on the sideline or whatever. Like, some so people weird. were like, you know, like, couldn't watch the field goal as it was kicked or whatever. And then was, was like, you know, Steph Curry, Cam Newton in it with the, I mean, it was more than just a little towel like those guys did. Um, but they did it with, um, they did it with like a huge puffer jacket and like, you couldn't see him at all. It was like, you were like trying to, you know, take him and keep him low profile at like a crowded venue or something, just really bizarre, whatever it was. I don't know what it was, but super strange. I think I've seen some chatters about like he's been battling the flu, but they've said that before earlier on in this season. So super, super bizarre. But I think that the the numbers would certainly support that he has been battling some kind of ailment. If you just look at his stats and how he has not been playing bad football, but certainly not the the Michael Penix that we've been used to throughout the year. It's kind of been a, a steady regression just calling it what it is statistically a steady regression that the Huskies have been able to escape or overcome week by week. Yeah. I mean, the numbers are definitely different. Um, I had the splits pulled up earlier for an article, but it was something like 73% completion percentage, 2,300 yards, 16 touchdowns, three interceptions. These are his first six games. And then the last six, like, Completion percentage, yeah, you can pull it up. Completion percentage is like dropped to 59% over the last six, like 1,500, 1,600 yards, 12 touchdowns, I think five or six interceptions, like something in closer to that range where you're, that's to your point, you're looking at a guy who was a Heisman Trophy favorite after the Oregon game. And the stats were just awesome, like a bunch of big games. And then ever since, like outside of the Stanford game, like you got it pulled up on the screen for viewers, outside of the Stanford game, there's not really a great stat line from Penix. Like, there's some pretty bad ones in there. His last three times out have not been fantastic. So, I don't know if it's injury. I don't know if it's injuries around him. I know Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan have had kind of their own injuries. I don't, Dylan Johnson, the running back's been kind of dinged up. I don't know if it's that. I don't know if it's teams kind of focusing in on what Washington's doing and finding some answers. But 
whatever it is, like there's no question that the Washington offense and especially Penix has not been anywhere near as um, successful as it was early on in the season when they really were pound for pound, probably the best offense in the country. They were, they were absolutely killing it. And Dylan Johnson's health is obviously going to factor into, to this week's game. He's kind of their, their bell cow back. Um, they, they had an injury. I, I want to say it was Cameron Davis is his name. The other running back that I think was projected to play a pretty big role in their offense. He got banged up earlier this year. So that's why yeah, Dylan Johnson has, has taken on. Yeah. A, a pretty big, um, you know, role this year. And I think he got stepped on uh, in, in one of the earlier games. That's why he's kind of been working back from that. But Washington isn't the only school or only team battling injuries. We're at that point in the year, late November. This is the most brutal stretch of, uh, of football in the country and in, in the season. And I think one of the more interesting ones that everyone's got to have their eye on this week is Julio Florence for the Ducks, right? Yep. He, he didn't play against Oregon State. He was spotted at the game using crutches to get around. Um, you know, Lanning didn't give any super concrete update on him as you would kind of expect in a game of this magnitude, but you got to figure that uh, cornerbacks versus receiver is going to be a ma- major matchup to keep an eye on on Friday. Yeah, that's my big one, you know, and, and you kind of outlined it there. I think Florence and Jackson were out in the second half. They came up in Seattle. That put Triquez Bridges, Nico Reed, Dante Manning on the field a lot. I think they did some good things in that game, but not on the last drive when it mattered, right? Like, and you didn't have your top corners out there when the game was on the line. And Triquez Bridges got beat for the game-winning touchdown. I say beat kind of loosely because I actually thought it was pretty good coverage, but just like one of those quarterback puts a freaking A-level ball onto a receiver who makes an incredible catch. Like, and that's yeah. that is the Penix Odunze of it all. Of you can be right there and still lose out on the play. So I, I think this is really pivotal is what is Oregon getting behind Florence? Who again, I don't think will play in this game. I've had some indications he might not be playing f- for a while, like AKA, like, I don't know, is he playing in the bull in the whatever postseason games come after this? I'm not sure. So what does Dante Manning give you? Cause I thought Dante had a couple nice plays on Friday, but he had a couple plays that weren't great. And you go back and watch it. He had a couple of PIs. He had a couple of, plays where he was beat on third down. So you're going to have to have to hope that you get as close to your very best from your reserve corners. I think you can you know, sign up Kyrie Jackson to play really well. He's going to lose his fair share against Roma Dunze because Roma Dunze is just going to beat just about anybody on a, a several downs a game. But to me, it's what, what, what can you do to counter the rest of it? And I, I think it's a real question of what Oregon gets behind um, – but behind Florence, who who has really emerged this year, and I again, I'm you're in a great spot where Dante Manning is a former five star recruit. Tricoise Bridges is like a multi year starter, um, and Nico Reed was a starter at Colorado. And these are the guys you're working with. You're not dealing with true freshmen who've never been in a big game. You're dealing with guys who've been in big moments and you're talented players. But you're also not with that. You're also with that one year starter. So I, I I agree. That's that's a focal one or a big one for me too. And I think another thing that's interesting when you're looking at that group, uh, I like the point you made about just the the depth that they're calling on. Uh, that's something that I think has changed even from a season ago because Florence wasn't a starter last year. So like that alone is obviously what was different. But what do you kind of make of the, um, I don't know if gap is the right word, but when we're just talking about Dante Manning and, and Nico Reed, um, it seems like Nico's had a little bit more versatility as far as mm-hmm. just the plays that he's, 
yeah. the spots that he's been playing in the secondary. But where do you guys, where do you think those guys kind of stack up when we're looking at who might be behind Florence and in line to help? Yeah, Nico had been um, outside of situations with injury, kind of primarily in the slot, so guarding some of the smaller players typically, um, and not on the outside as much. Um, I, I would imagine Dante gets the start again, just like he did this last game against Oregon State, where he played, you know, the high percentage of the snaps. I, I would imagine that's what you roll with now. Again, I think you can have a pretty quick trigger if you think you need to. Like if he's getting roasted out there, which I, I don't know if I expect that to be the case, but if he has a tough sequence or two, you certainly have options to turn to. Like I said, with with Reed and with with Bridges and Roderick Pleasant maybe is available. He's missed the last couple of games as well with injury. Um, but I don't know if you can really count on much from him. He's a true freshman and this is a really big spot. But um I, I would imagine Manning gets the first look again. But if they need to, I, I think they have some some solutions they can they can go to if if that's not something that's working out well. And at the very least, Eric, if you're Oregon and you're calling on Dante Manning, who's been I think spotty is maybe a good way to put it. Had some good moments, had some bad moments. He's yeah. entering this game with arguably the most confidence he's ever had because I yeah. think that was his first pick as a duck last week against Oregon State. So that's a positive spin you can kind of put on it. Yeah. A couple more points I wanted to talk about here is just not not to look at it in any kind of negative light, but just looking at maybe some of the weaknesses for Oregon or, or areas of concern. I think you have, we already hit on a big one, which is the secondary in terms of just how they're going to be able to to live up to the that matchup, how they're going to be able to show up. But I think there's two we got to talk about. First one is the penalties because yeah. you look at the kind of ball Oregon's playing, how highly ranked they are and everything, and you would not think – that they are as penalized as they are, but that's the reality of it. And then the second one is your area of expertise, special teams. Camden Lewis isn't having the best year. You know, don't want to rag on the guy by any means, but that that's the elephant in the room. Um, he hasn't been the same since that missed kick against Washington. It's so tough with Camden, man. I, you just want to see the guy have success, and he's just – he's not doing it. And, and I think those are good things to bring up here. I mean, I'm just pulling up on uh, – cfbstats.com i don't know if you use that but that's what i use just for a lot of these kind of baseline stats um penalties like i know they've been better at times still 125th in the country in terms of the most penalized team there's there's only a couple of power five teams below them actually incidentally washington is the most penalized team in all of uh power five football i don't know if you knew that i didn't know that oh, until i just I saw had that. no idea wow yeah uh, Oregon averages 67 yards a game on penalties, and 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 uh, Washington's about 76. I agree. That's certainly a focal point. Um, I think for Oregon is also like just kind of building off of that is is staying fairly even keeled or as even keeled as you can, and not getting the emotional penalties. Like I I, I don't know if it necessarily translate this way, but like Dante Manning was the player who had the full like pick up the player and flip him over his shoulder penalty. Right? He uh, su suplexed the guy. Like that's like a that's like a was that last week? Yeah, it was last week in Oregon okay. State. Like I think that was like an emotional rivalry game penalty. Like don't have any more of those. Um, and then yeah, I mean I hate to say it, Camden Lewis is is not reliable right now. Like he's it's not just that he's missing kicks; he's missing easy kicks. Like most of these misses are forty yards and in, and you can't be missing from 30, 34 yards, especially. I mean. Certainly not at the very end of a game because you want to be in a spot where you can trust your offense to put you at the 15-yard line and say our kicker is going to make the field goal. But 
earlier on in the game too. Like if you can't, if you get into those spots and like if Oregon again has to settle for going for it on fourth and, and get stopped a couple of times like they did. In the, I mean, that was the big talking point coming out of that game is why is Dan going for it on fourth? I wouldn't say you'd feel confident at all relying on Camden in this spot. So um, I, I think that's a huge one. And, 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 and I guess another addition to that is Camden struggled to kick the ball off too. He's had six kicks go out of bounds. That's the second most of any team in the, in the country this year. So that's, it's not just one or two things. It's, it's a couple of things there for, for, for Camden that have really been problematic. I guess he's been good on PATs, but I, I just think if you, if this game comes down to the same spot you were in last time and Camden has to make a kick at the end to send it to overtime or win, no one's going to feel – you don't feel any better than you did last time. In fact, you probably feel worse. He's just – it's just there's – no, there's no level of confidence. I can't put it any other way. He's just – he's made six out of his – or he's made three of his last nine kicks. That's, that's just not good enough. And what maybe makes it even more bizarre, Eric, the, the dude set the scoring record in, in the midst of all of this. So, like, that's a, a huge high for him mixed yeah. in with all the hardship. No, and, and I was even going to say, like, I was talking about this in our podcast. Do you remember how much of a badass Cam was coming out of that like, that win in Lubbock of, like, being like, oh, you're going to put me out there in that spot. I knew I was going to make it. I knew I was going to send the fans home in a bad like bad mood. Like, he was such a, a badass. Like, he had all this confidence all of a sudden. And, you know, and, and to see it shift this sharply is – I don't have an explanation. It's weird. Something has either happened – um, emotionally, psychologically, physically, we don't know about, but it has been a big shift because this was such a feel-good story of like guy couldn't make a kick, now he doesn't miss a kick, and now it's like he's back to not making a kick again. It's a tough time. It's a tough time, but hey, that's the that's kind of what everyone has to deal with 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 college football. I mean, it's it's bizarre, right? It's it's stuff like that, and just like the ebbs and flows and. Like that's what makes it special. Like Auburn losing to New Mexico State and then proceeding mm-hmm. to give Alabama the scare of a lifetime. Like right. yeah. that that's just something I feel like wouldn't happen in the NFL in terms of like a bad team. Like there's just so much more consistency and chaos is part of what makes the sport special in my eyes. Um I, I do wanna kind of start to wind down here, Eric. I wanna be respectful of your time. Uh just just get some final thoughts here before we hit the road out to Vegas. Uh, depends when I post this, but I know we're both going to be traveling to Vegas here relatively soon. Yeah. Well, we want more thoughts. Sorry. I was, I was thinking Just about a, my travel day. <laughs> you're good. You're good. Just uh final thoughts from you. Um, you could talk Washington, you could talk Oregon, uh, but just kind of final thoughts heading to this game. Yeah. Um, I think kind of my parting thought would be if this goes to plan and Oregon wins on Friday, cements this as one of those really really special years it's already there but it starts to go from being in the conversation with like what 2010 2014 people have a lot of um appreciation for 2012 as maybe being the most talented team obviously there was the 2019 team that made the rose bowl but with the win on on friday like it moves into that upper echelon of best seasons of all time. And I don't think it's without, like, it's not outside the realm of possibility. We're chatting in January, you know, end of the month there about like, wow, this was 2023 ended up being the best year the programs had. And so I, I think just a level of appreciation for what is still available needs to be had because like, look, we're, we're, we're not even, you know, it's not even December 1st yet. And, and Oregon, 
could win a conference championship, could have the Heisman Trophy winner, they could have several other individual award winners, and they could still win a national championship. And that's just, you don't have seasons where all of this is still available to you this far into a season very often. And, and Oregon, like really 2014 and 2010 are, are the only times some of these conversations were allowed to be had. So I just say appreciate the fact that that, 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 that they're in this position. That there's a, there's a chance that this goes down as being the best season that the program has had because that doesn't obviously come around very often. I echo everything you just said like 10 million times. And I think just it's it's cool too because as as stressful as this job can be at times, I think obviously a lot of people don't see on the surface, you know, just writing at all hours and the, the um, challenges that it presents for your social life and everything like just so grateful to be covering this team, man. I mean, to be able to cover a team that is doing what Oregon's doing on the field. And then obviously, you know how much I love recruiting to, to be able to cover a team that that is doing what they're doing on the recruiting trail. It's super special. And I'm so grateful for it. And then also just to, to add some more parting thoughts, like I, I wasn't even a journalist the last time Oregon was kind of having this kind of a year, I guess I yeah. was in 29 and 2019, but in 2014, I was I went to the Rose Bowl against Florida State with my family and was just you know in the in the stands watching uh some crazy stuff go on from the fans and also on the field um like Tony Washington scoop and score he's on the staff now like just yeah, crazy yeah. crazy times but I think that just to kind of wrap it up here I think there's a lot of reason to have a whole lot of confidence if you're the Ducks right now or if you're a Duck fan but I think history has made it kind of hard to lean into that confidence but it feels like it's a different year. Dan Lanning's a different coach. I've been saying it. I think he looks like a different type of locked in. Bo Nix seems like he's a different type of locked in. And um, I think that them being on a neutral field Friday is only going to help them because we know Oregon fans are going to travel. And um, I think that that could be an element that could really help them. But so, so excited to get out to Vegas and just get to, what, get another chance to watch this team with my own two eyes in person. I'll be up there in the press box in Allegiant. We'll uh, we'll, we'll be chatting together, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, we're we're able to enjoy what's a really good football game, but also one that furthers some of these goals for the Ducks because it's all there still. It is that it is. But before we get out of here, Eric, let the people know where they can find more of you and the awesome work you're doing in the college football space. <laughs> Appreciate it, Max. Uh, yeah, you can go find me over at uh, duckterritory.com where the Oregon affiliate for 24-7 Sports. I work with Matt Bream and Jared Mack. I think hopefully some of you are familiar with our work as well. Um, I guess you can go follow me on X, which feels weird to say, at, uh, at Eric underscore Scopel. I don't know. I still say Twitter, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I Should I? Should I? Hey, go follow me on Twitter. I don't know. I, it, all of this is it's so stupid, but we don't have to do <laughs> all that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah, and, and we we post our Ots and Audibles podcast um, four days a week and uh, post game. So go check those out over on YouTube or or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Right on, right on. Well, make sure you guys lock in with Eric. If you want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at mtorresports. You can subscribe to my YouTube channel at Oregon Football Max Torres, and you can read all of my written work over on DucksDigest.com covering Oregon football and Oregon football recruiting. The early signing period is less than a month away. I know we're all focused on what's going on on the field, but 
It's going to be crazy. And I'm going to be leaning into all that chaos because I love recruiting. <laughs> so a big, big thank you to Eric for coming on. And thank you to you guys for taking some time to tune in and talk some ball with us. We'll see you guys in Las Vegas. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast.